wonderful songs. Appreciate you singing out this morning. And uh, we continue to worship Christ by opening up to Hebrews chapter 12. I want to welcome those live streaming, and we're glad to have you joining us as well. Hebrews, wonderful letter written to believers who are going through very challenging times. Afflicted saints, like we just sang about. And you say, what's going on here in chapter 12? Well, if there's one big thing you'd want to think about with chapter 12, it's keep running, right? Hebrews 12, verse 1. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And what does this text encourage us, hopefully, to do? Keep running. So if the Christian life is a race then this morning I'm praying by God's grace that He's going to use this message to encourage you to keep running. Man, don't stop. Just keep running your race. And sometimes it's easy. You know, I don't run nearly like I used to. But when I was running real actively and we had our little groups that would run, there were days where it was so easy. It would be a Saturday morning, 50 degrees is right about prime. And the sun's just coming up, and you're on a downhill. And it's like, it is so nice, and you're just enjoying it, and it feels good. And maybe some of you are there in your Christian life, like everything's going well. You know, your family's good, your marriage is good, job is good, school is good, money is good, health is good. It's good, good, good. And if that's where you're at, praise the Lord. And again, this is the kind of message I hope you'll stick in your back pocket for when it changes. Because it's always true that when you're running, there's going to come a time where it's a little warmer and you're on an uphill and there's a dog and it looks mean. And all of a sudden your foot or your ankle or your hip and it just hurts. And you begin thinking, I don't know if I want to finish this race. But when you have your friends with you running, they're like, come on, you can do it. Let's go. I'll slow down. You know, no, take go. No, no, I'm not going in front. I'm going to go slow, but you stay up. We're going to finish this together. Hang in there. And that is such an encouragement. And that's what Hebrews is all about. It's addressing people that are struggling in really big ways. And they're thinking, Lord, you might be my father. I might be your son. You may be good. I'm just telling you, I'm not seeing it. And here is the Word of God for us when we're in that situation. And we covered this last time. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning at verse 5, you have forgotten something. You have forgotten the exhortation or encouragement which is addressed to you as sons. And then there's a quote of Hebrews 3, excuse me, Proverbs 3. So the reason that you're really struggling with wanting to keep following Jesus is because you forgot what you read back in Proverbs 3. What's it say? Quote, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you're reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. It's discipline. Someone asked me a question this morning. It was a great question. Greg, do you really believe that every single problem a believer faces is God's discipline? Answer, 
Yes, absolutely. That's what we're learning here in Hebrews 12. That's what we learn in 1 Peter chapter 1 or James chapter 1. That every trial is necessary. 1 Peter 1, if necessary. Which is why in James 1 it says that we should what? Rejoice every time. Count it all joy when you encounter any diverse trial, knowing that the trying of your faith is being worked out for patience, for long-suffering. God is growing us. No such thing as a trial that we don't need to face. Every opportunity is an opportunity to grow, including our suffering. Now, the challenge with that, and I don't want to repeat the last message, and I, I develop it, Lord willing, I did develop it well last time, at least I hope it helped, that when you see the word discipline, don't think chastisement, don't think I'm being punished for my sin, think of your football coach, think of your music teacher, or somebody like that, who loves you incredibly much and is doing his or her best to help you, that's the word discipline in the context of Hebrews. So I used an illustration last time, and a number of you said, you know, Greg, some, sometimes you tell a story and you never finish, and we wonder, like, what's going on? Okay, let's get back to the airport. Uh, last week, I used an illustration. Nance and I were hoping to fly out of GSP, go up to Charlotte, go to Cleveland so I could preach my dad's funeral. And we're in the car on the way to GSP. Message, flights canceled. Not sure From Charlotte to Cleveland, not sure what to do. And so basically, I get some good counsel, go back home, get on the phone. I find out, yeah, everything's canceled. U.S. Air said nothing's going up to Cleveland and we could put you on another flight, it's going to be a mere 48 hours later. And obviously, I'm not missing my dad's funeral. You say, so why did that happen? God was disciplining me. That's why it happened. God was using that in my life to discipline me. Why do I sometimes spill my coffee in the morning on my shirt and say, honey, I'm sorry, I know you just ironed this shirt, but... God's disciplining me, and perhaps disciplining her, okay? Because it's a hassle, and nobody likes it. But it's God doing something good in our lives. No wasted pain. It's all for our benefit. Now, I want to entertain a question, and a question that I've been asked this week, a very good question. Greg, does God ever use difficult times to chastise us and to punish us? And that's a good question. Let's go through now the entire quote in Hebrews 12, 6. It ends this way. And he scourges every son whom he receives. That word scourge is different than the word discipline. Discipline has a very broad, people call it semantic range, many different ideas in the word discipline. Don't assume it means punishment. It doesn't. It may. Scourges is a different word. The word scourges translated chastens in the NIV, chastises, ESV, punishes, Holman Christian Standard. That is a word that has to do with the infliction of pain for punishment. Does God do that with his people? Yes. 
And I think a good example maybe to help us would be perhaps the prophet Jonah. You know, and I went back and reread it just to make sure it clicked, and, and, and it, it seemed to be a good illustration. God clearly said to Jonah, I want you to go preach in Nineveh, and Jonah said, no. And he ran the other way, got on a boat. The Lord sent a big storm. And here's the ship being tossed around. The sailors are frightened. They say to Jonah, what's going on? Jonah says, I know what's going on. I already told you I'm running from God. This is God. And he is, different word, but he is chastising me. Throw me overboard, storm's over. Jonah knew exactly what was going on. And the Lord was scourging, chastising, chastening Jonah for his benefit. And of course, you know the story, Jonah goes over, and does God just let him drown? No, he has that big fish ready to go, and Jonah is there, and then the Lord gives him another opportunity. That does happen. That is in this verse, in Proverbs 3. But I know at least one commentator said, I find it so interesting that there's no comment on that in Hebrews 12. Sometimes we quote a verse, and we want to focus on one part. It doesn't mean we deny the other part. It just means that's really not what we're talking about. Hebrews is not written to disobedient Christians who are in Jonah mode and need to be chastened. That's not Hebrews. Hebrews is being written to followers of Jesus Christ and their suffering persecution. And they're being tempted to turn away from the Lord because they're thinking, God, I mean, like if you're my father and you love me so much, why am I suffering? You say, okay, Greg, you never finished your story about being, what did you end up doing? I, I had a good attitude by God's grace. I have to admit, I was helped because I'm studying Hebrews. And I'm just, Lord, I know this is for my good. We can't get up to Ohio. I'm not sure what to do. I'll just do the best I can. I get on the phone with Delta. They're still flying out of Atlanta. And so 24 hours later, I were able to fly from GSP down to Atlanta up to Cleveland. And I was thankful for that opportunity. If that wasn't available, we would have jumped in a vehicle and hopefully driven safely up. But doing that, just so you know, without a bad attitude, I'm not saying always, but this is one time by God's grace, I am so into Hebrews that even when this bad news comes, I'm thinking, Lord, I know what you're doing. You're disciplining me. It's okay. I, I mean, I don't really prefer it. But I know you're good and you love me. That's the message of Hebrews. 12. So if you're going through a hard time, I want to encourage you this morning that God, who loves you very much, you're one of His children, when the suffering comes, He's just saying, let's go to the gym, and we're going to work out a little bit, and it's going to make you stronger. That's what Hebrews is all about. Here's the thesis we had last time. Suffering believers are encouraged by remembering that our loving Father uses trials to discipline, if you prefer, to train, if you prefer to educate, and I gave you usages of all of those three words last time, always for our good. 
And just a quick review of the message. We focused on 5 through 8 last time. Discipline originates with the Lord. That, real quick, is so encouraging to me. There's no such thing as bad luck. There's no such thing as, man, I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. If I would have just left five minutes earlier, I wouldn't have had to be in that. No. Discipline originates with the Lord. It's evidence of God's love because he disciplines those whom he loves. And it doesn't really disprove sonship. It affirms sonship because whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and scourges every son whom he receives. And if you are without discipline, of which all are partakers, then you're illegitimate. You're not his children. And so afflicted saint to Christ, draw near. Come on. Realize it's, it's hitting the gym. And God's growing your faith. And he's helping you. And that is how we need to be thinking about suffering as believers. The author doesn't stop at verse 8. He continues pretty much the same thing. So verses 9 through 11, today's text, we'll just call this part two of loving fatherly discipline. And again, my, my hope, my prayer, is that this will encourage you as much as as it's been encouraging me. Look in Hebrews chapter 12. We'll pick it up in verse 9 this morning. Verse 9, furthermore, I mean, there's even more you guys got to know. We had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? You say, what's that all about? Our first point, consider the source. Our suffering is ordained by our Heavenly Father. Think about that. You say, why? It's an argument from the lesser to the greater. We had earthly fathers to discipline us, verse 9. And we respected them. True? I mean, I would like to think we all agree. We respect earthly dads who discipline us. I was raised in a home where I wasn't allowed to eat dessert before I finished the meal. If I said, hey, mom, hey, dad, I don't want to eat this chicken or beef or whatever. I just want ice cream, right? Isn't it national eat ice cream for supper day or something, you know? And they would say, no, son. I was the kind of kid who said, mom and dad, I don't want to do my homework. I want to watch TV. And they would say, no, son, you have to do your homework first. And I got older, I was the kind of kid, my mom and dad gave me a curfew. I was not allowed to go out and show up at home the next morning. I had to come home in high school, okay? And if I missed curfew, then I would lose car privileges, okay? And there were times, Greg, what time did you get home? And I would say, such and such a time. And my mom would say, that's not true, son. And I was like, then why'd you ask? Okay. And then so no car for a while. And now, as a mature adult, I look back at my mom and dad with respect. Respect is a sense of honor. I am so grateful I had parents who loved me enough to discipline me. Now, at the time, I didn't like it, but now I look back, and I'm so grateful 
that they taught me important lessons. And I look back with respect. So let's take that and build on it. Notice the second part of verse 9. Yes, we respected our parents, earthly parents. Second part. Shall we not much more rather, not much rather be subject? Let me start again. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? If we're going to show respect to an earthly dad who disciplines us, and we do, then how much more would we show respect implied to a heavenly father who disciplines us? And how do we show him respect? Well, just notice what the verse says in verse 9. We submit to him. That's that word, be subject to. It's the standard word for submission. We show respect to God, our Heavenly Father, by submitting to Him. We rather should be subject, interesting phrase, verse 9, to the Father of spirits. And that's one of those things, Father of spirits, hit commentaries, theologians, will spend pages on discussing exactly what that means. But in reality, it's very clear, Father of spirits, in verse 9, is being contrasted with earthly fathers, in the beginning of verse 9. So what is the Father? Who is the Father of spirits? It's our Heavenly Father. It's our spiritual Father. If we're going to show respect to an earthly Father who disciplined us, and we do, especially as we look back at it as mature individuals, how much more would we respect our Heavenly Father by submitting to Him even when we suffer? And notice how the verse ends, verse 9. And live. And live. Because we continue to follow Jesus. It's like here we are in the race and we're following Jesus. And sometimes it's uphill, hot weather, feet hurt, gets kind of challenging. But we finish our race. The race laid out before us. And again, if you're running and you want to quit, that's fine. You might say, I hate running, I'm never going to run again. Okay, that's, remember, it's just an illustration. But it's not okay for a Christian to say that. Yes, I'm suffering. Yes, I'm going through a difficult time. And yet, Lord, I am going to show you respect by submitting to your sovereignty, even in the midst of my suffering. That's what Hebrews is saying. Consider the source. It's coming from our Heavenly Father. We respect our earthly dads. How much more should we respect Him? That's number one. That is supposed to encourage us. Consider the source of the suffering. Yes, it is from our sovereign Heavenly Father's good and perfect hand. Number two, consider the purpose. You say, Greg, why? What's the reason it's a fair question. We have a good answer. Verse 10. For they, that's a reference to our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but He, that's our Heavenly Father, disciplines us for our good so that we may share His holiness. So, first point. Dad, and I'm using dad in the sense of earthly father. Dad's discipline is brief and imperfect. Okay? Brief, 
because it's only during our childhood. I mean, as an adult, right, my parents would no longer be disciplining me in that sense. So, you know, you're living at home. It's kind of brief when you look at your whole life. But notice what else it says here in the text. It says, we had earthly fathers, excuse me, those earthly fathers, verse 10, disciplined us as seemed best to them. They thought, yeah, this is probably the thing I should do now. And no doubt they were wrong. No doubt parents are wrong in disciplining kids. Teenagers, can I get an amen? Okay, you say, not with my parents here, okay, but in your heart. And come on, you're, talk to your mom and dad honestly with respect. They'll admit that, right? I mean, through the years, I've had my girls say to me, you know, I've, I've had my oldest daughter say to me, Dad, you disciplined me for things you're letting my younger sister get away with. Dad, you were too hard on me. And I, and I would never go, no. But I've said to her more than once, Honey, you may be right. I just want you to know I honestly love you, and I was trying my best, and I would never claim that Mom and I did it right all the time. I will claim that we loved you, and we tried. But yes, we messed up. And all of us as parents, come on, we would admit there are times we should have disciplined them and we didn't. There are times that we shouldn't have disciplined them and we did. We're people. We mess up. We make mistakes, right? My dad was my baseball coach growing up. And when you play Little League baseball, uh, every team has an equipment bag. And in that equipment bag would be maybe half a dozen bats, a bunch of practice balls, and a catcher's glove. Because, and the catcher's equipment, because it's assumed the average kid doesn't have catcher's equipment and a catcher's glove. And I was the catcher, and I liked being catcher. So I would take the glove out. It's kind of a beat-up glove, because, you know, it's supplied by the Little League organization. And one day, just because he wanted to be nice, my dad said, hey, let's go to the store. I'm going to buy you your own catcher's glove. That's a big deal. They're more expensive. Um, as some of you know, they're kind of round, and they're thickly padded. Okay, some of you caught because you've told me, I don't want to embarrass anyone, uh, but there's a brother here, uh, one of our very faithful deacons who was a catcher, and he and I talk about that. I would never use his name, okay, so I'm not going to embarrass him. I'll just say the coach called him Earl, and that's all I'll say, okay, <laughs> so you figure it out. And my dad bought me a catcher's glove, and I was so excited, and I was grateful and I left it outside one night in the rain. And that was not a blessing. Now on my dad's team, here's the rule. Show up to practice. You always get to play half of a game, even if you're no good. And I was never great in ball. I was never the worst kid. I was average. So I always played the whole game. Never the star. Never the best kid. But I would play the whole game. My dad reads off the starting lineup. And I'm like, Pops. And he said, yeah, you're not playing the first half. What? And he said, you left your glove in the rain. And I, asked, I said, Dad, that is not fair. Because that's what dads do, but that's not what coaches do. You got this thing confused, Dad. You're my dad, and then you're my coach. Coaches are not allowed to discipline players 
for doing things that are not baseball related. That was a personal glove. And he bought none of it, okay? <laughs> All right. You say, do you think he was wrong? Yeah, I still do, okay? <laughs> but that's okay, because it's in the Bible. Discipline of a dad is imperfect. Dad's doing the best he can. That's what the text says here in verse 10. Ask seems best to them. But God never makes a mistake, right? The Bible makes it clear that God disciplines us for our good, always our good. Notice what the text says, second half of 10. He disciplines us for our good so that we may share His holiness. See, God's not just, I don't mean this irreverently, like a dad sitting up there thinking, I wonder if I should discipline this way or that way, or let it go or not, I'm not sure. Earthly dads, yes. Our Heavenly Father, no. Our Heavenly Father is one who knows what is good. Notice the word good, verse 10. He disciplines us for our good. And our good is always, end of verse 10, that we may share His holiness. See, this is where I think we frequently struggle. Is it true that God works all things together for good? Yes, we love Romans 8.28, and I do. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. And my thought is, amen. Every single thing in my life, God's going to use it for good. That is great. So what is good? Good is getting what I want, right? Good is, I want a good job. I want that girl to date me. I want a good grade on the test. I want to get into graduate school. I want to live in that subdivision. I want to have this many kids. I want to have a healthy body. And Lord, here I am struggling as a Christian and it doesn't feel good to me. And that's true. And we may be confused because once again, we haven't gone far enough in the text. What is good? For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son. That's sharing His holiness. It's becoming like Jesus. You know, I've had people through the years, Craig, look at me. My health is a mess. I'm suffering. And you're telling me God's working this for good? I don't see it. And it's a misunderstanding that in their mind, good means comfort, ease, and pleasure. And there's nothing wrong with enjoying those. I enjoy them when I have them. But that's not the biblical definition of good. Good is becoming like the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't wish this on you. I don't wish this on me. We don't wish this on anyone. But it may be that my loving Heavenly Father ordains that I'm a person who encounters an incredible illness of whatever kind, and then I go through a long period of suffering. 
And at that time, it may be that it hurts so much that I forget that Hebrews 12 says I'm supposed to remember what Proverbs 3 says. And what is that? That it's all discipline. And it's good. And God's doing something good. And he may have me suffer in great ways. I'm, I'm not volunteering, okay? If there's a sheet, who wants to be like Jesus? Yeah, so bad that you want to suffer. I would say, well, let me pray about that part, okay? And yet this is what our Father does. Good is becoming conformed to the image of his Son. And you want to make sure that you have 29 linked to Romans 8, 28 that we would not encounter difficulties and think, hey, I'm not following the Lord anymore. This is not good. So you see that in verse 10? He disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. Again, sports just work so well. Another one. You say, what is the word holiness? It's related to our word sanctification. God grows us through suffering. In high school football, we had what were called double sessions. I don't know how they do it. The state of Ohio had rules. You couldn't start until a certain date. And once you started, you were not allowed to practice more than eight hours a day, if my memory is correct. So the very first day we were allowed, we began, and we went eight hours, eight to noon, one to five, in the hot, humid, Lake County weather of northeastern Ohio, and we practiced, and it hurt. And we ran, and we ran, and we ran, and we pushed. And it was hard. Okay? You say, why did the coach treat you that way? Because the goal was we wanted to be in better shape than the guys on the other team. And the coach would remind us we win in the fourth quarter because we're in better shape than them. Fourth quarter, they're going to be tired. They're going to be dragging, not us. And the coach would keep repeating, no pain, no gain. Along the edge of the practice field, we had a stream. It's where the kids would vomit. And if somebody started to throw up, the coach would say, get over there, get over there. Do that over there. Don't do that here. And then come back and let's go. I don't have time for this. And some of the... Now, you're not going to like what I'm going to say next. Some of you younger ones. Some of the kids would quit the football team and they played soccer. Because it was a whole lot easier. I'm just saying. Okay? No, 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 I, don't, I like soccer. We're good. I'm just telling you that's what happened. But the other guys would say, you know what, no pain, no gain, I'm not quitting. And they would get back, and we would continue. That's the idea of Hebrews. You say, Greg, that might be the purpose, but I still don't like it. One more verse, one more, more point, verse 11. Consider the result. Guys, it works. Okay, look at your verse 11. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful, yet to those who've been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Okay, does it hurt? Yes, we know that. The text acknowledges that. The training is painful. It's never pleasant. That's what the text acknowledges. 
for the moment when you're suffering through it. It seems, hey, this is not joyful. And it's not. And you're experiencing sorrow and hurt. That's correct. It's a difficult thing to go through this kind of training. And notice I'm taking training out of the second half of verse 11, yet to those who've been trained by it. That's the word we get gymnasium from. So that's why I feel very free to use these sporting illustrations. you got to hit the gym. You have to go through double sessions. And when you're not practicing, you need to hit the weight room. You say, it hurts. Of course it hurts. If there's no pain, there's no gain. Come on, you want to play football or not? Do you want to be like Jesus or not? The way that the Lord helps us to grow is by bringing us through periods of suffering. And yes, it works. The results are worth it. Do you see that in verse 11? Yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And again, peaceful fruit of righteousness. That is a phrase that commentators wrestle with and have pages on trying to just nuance it exactly the right way. It's very, po- very clear. It's a very positive thing. The peaceful fruit of righteousness, it may be talking about one fruit, and the fruit is righteousness. It could be that it's the result of righteousness. Other translations say, well, it's actually getting the fruit of peace and righteousness. And I think that's a wonderful way to think of it. That when you go through periods of suffering, knowing that they're from the hand of a loving Heavenly Father who's doing good, even though it hurts, no pain, no gain, and it's not pleasant, by God's grace, you keep running. And you become stronger. And you have a more fruitful life. And that includes what? Peace and righteousness. And you're growing to be more like Jesus. And when the bad stuff comes, you're not freaking out like you used to. You say, man, when when you were young, you were like Miss Panic Attack. What happened to you? Now things happen and you're like Miss Even Keel. You've been to the weight room. You've worked out. God has made you stronger. Oh, it still hurts. But you've grown. You're more like Jesus. That's the peace. How about the righteousness? Righteousness just means conformity to a standard. Here you are doing the right thing. Hey, you are suffering like crazy, and you are still following Jesus. How did you do that? Well, it really hasn't been pleasant. It's called going to the gym most of your life. And God has just brought me through period of trial and period of trial and one suffering after another. And every time I come out, and it's like the before and after pictures, if they're true, right? Before buying the new greatest weight machine, right? And then picture, and here's the same guy 
And he looks like super buff man with the same head. You know, the before and after pictures, right? Come on, buy this machine and you could look like this. Now, is that true? I don't know. You say, do you think they're putting the same head on a different body? Maybe, okay? But spiritually, it's true, guys. This is how we grow. The Lord brings us through periods of difficulty so that by His grace, we will become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's the application of today's message. I don't always have an application, but I want to today. Believers must prepare to suffer as they follow Christ and know how to suffer well. That's my burden for you. That's what God's doing in my life. You must be ready to suffer. Just assume you're going to get the cancer diagnosis. Just assume you're going to get a phone call that's going to be really, really bad news. And don't think, is it going to happen? Guys, more than likely, it's going to happen. Now's the time to prepare. Not only to be ready to suffer, but to suffer well. You know, I think I mentioned this uh, a video. It was a biblical counseling kind of video. And they interviewed a young woman. I, I say young, maybe middle-aged, young to me. And she has these young children at home. And she's just been diagnosed with terminal cancer. And they interviewed her. And they said, why do you think God would allow this? And with no hesitation, she said, why not? And I thought, she knows God. That's where we all need to be. Hey, Greg, what if you go to the gym? Why not? I mean, why not? I'm not signing up, but why not? So when the pain and the suffering come, and you say, hey, Greg, what do you think about Jesus now? Well, the same thing I've always thought about Jesus. He loves me. He's my Father. And everything that he brings into my life is for my good. He's making me look more like him. That's why. I mean, I'm ready for this, but then the suffering's going to get really, really bad. And just like you, I'm going to be tempted to forget what I know. And so some of you, I trust, would love me enough to say, hey, Greg, can I remind you what it says back in Proverbs 3, like Hebrews 12 says we need to remember that whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and scourges every son, whom he receives. And if you're actually without this, of which all are partakers, then you don't even belong to him. And I'll go, yeah, I think I preached that a couple times. Thank you. And you'll remind me, just like I may have to remind you. Because when it hurts badly, we tend to forget what we know. Which is why we have this wonderful letter of Hebrews reminding us that we must prepare to suffer, suffer as we follow Christ and we have to know how to suffer well. I want to get you ready. I want to prepare you for the suffering. Now, some of you are already there and I understand. But for those who aren't really struggling, I want to prepare you because I don't think I'm helping you if I don't prepare you. I've just finished a book this week. 
on the Lusitania and fascinated and just, just been thinking about it. A British travel liner going back between Britain and the United States during World War I because the United States isn't in the war yet. We're neutral. Germany officially says any boat in this area, we call it the war zone, is open game for our U-boats, uh, submarines, U-boats. And we recommend you not travel. They actually put an ad in a British paper, don't travel on these ships. And what did people say? People said, you know what? I don't think they would hit a passenger ship, especially with Americans on it, neutral country. Secondly, if they tried to hit a passenger ship with the, with the torpedo, I don't think they can do it. The Lusitania, I wrote it down, roughly 26 knots top speed, roughly 30 miles an hour. The fastest U-boats can only do 16 knots, slightly over half, and that's why they're above water. Below water, cut that in half. The Lusitania is so fast you couldn't catch it if you wanted. Germany's not going to try to sink it. I mean, who would do that? That's barbaric. And even if they hit it, this thing is over 700, almost 800 feet long. It has various compartments that are watertight. Even if they were crazy enough to hit it, and they got lucky and hit it, you can't take down an almost 800-foot boat with the torpedo. The people on deck the whole trip laughed and made submarine jokes. Hey, you think that's a submarine? <laughs> you think a torpedo could take us down? No one took it seriously. And a German U-boat off the coast of Ireland, one torpedo hit the Lusitania, and it sunk incredibly quickly. And out of the close to, what, 3,000 people, excuse me, 2,000 people on board, just under 2,000, roughly 1,200 perished. And here's a point I want to make. Many of the survivors that were interviewed said the same thing. All around us were bodies floating upside down in life jackets. They did no drills on the Lusitania. Every room had a life jacket for each person. No one took the time to instruct them how to put the life jacket on. There were bodies floating everywhere for whatever reason. If you look at the life jacket and just say, here's what I think, you'll naturally put it on upside down. Many people drowned in their life jackets. And every, everywhere you look were legs up. Because no one even thought we should get ready for the possibility of a torpedo strike against the mighty Lusitania. I mean, we're from Britain. We don't go through this. And guys, if you're thinking that about your Christianity, you're not thinking correctly. The whole wealth gospel, health and wealth gospel, is not what the Scriptures teach. 
God does ordain that we go through times of suffering. And if you're not, you will be. And the time to learn how to put a life jacket on is not when it's happening. The time right now is to understand this could happen to me. And even though I hope it doesn't, I may find my ship going down quickly. And I want to prepare to know how to suffer well. And by God's grace, Hebrews is helping us to do that. Here's our conclusion. Because our Heavenly Father's discipline, by way of suffering, is designed for our spiritual good and results in peace and righteousness. Submit to it and continue to follow Christ. So if you say to me, Greg, what if you get the big diagnosis and your world falls apart, what are you going to do? Not because I'm awesome, but I trust by God's strength, the Holy Spirit would allow me to remember this message, and my response would be, I'm going to submit. I'm going to submit. I'm just going to keep following Christ. Encouraged by Hebrews 12, 9 to 11. Encouraged by Hebrews 12, 5 through 8. This is from last week. Don't be indifferent to suffering. Don't take it lightly. Don't blow it off. Say, who cares? But on the other hand, don't get depressed about your suffering. Don't lose heart and grow weary. Remember this, that our loving Father uses trials to discipline and train us. It's always for our good. And if this were not true, then you would never suffer. There'd be no reason for you to suffer. But as a child of God, there is a time where He ordains we go to the gym and we'll experience pain for the purpose of gain. And I hope that by God's grace, when that time comes in your life, that the Holy Spirit will bring these truths back to your mind. And if you forget them, I hope you'll have brothers and sisters in Christ who will love you enough to gently and kindly remind you. Let's pray. Father, we pause to thank you for being good, always good, and only good to your children. We thank you. Lord, your word makes it very clear that there's a reason we suffer. It's never random. Never a mistake. Never catches you off guard. It's always for our good so that we may share your holiness. Always. And yet, Lord, we confess in times of pain, whether that's physical pain, emotional pain, in times of pain we forget we forget what's in Proverbs 3. We forget the reminder of Hebrews 12. And so we thank you, Lord, that you help us. And we pray you will help us. Lord, help us to prepare well for suffering. Help us to prepare one another so that when the trials come and following Jesus is difficult, 
that we have already decided how we're going to respond. That we would affirm the truth of your word and that by faith we would continue to follow Jesus. So for your glory, in his name we pray.